Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Okay, let's be honest. Raise your hand if you said, Ooh, Michael's preaching today. (laughs) Early lunch. Yeah. I see those hands. I was sitting there looking at the, my watch and thinking back on my first week in seminary, I was offered an opportunity to preach at the West Marrero Baptist Church on the West Bank of New Orleans. And they called me and said, we just want you to preach for us this Sunday. And so my wife Lisa and I made the drive and we showed up and we got there about 10 till 11. And I walked in and the person said, "Um, perchance do you play the piano and sing? (laughs) And I said, "Uh, perchance not in a million years. And they said, well, the music director and the pianist did not show up today. And so we're just going to start with a hymn. They did an acapella song as the offertory, took up the offering, and gave me the pulpit at 11.05. Um, at the end of the service, they offered me the job. So, <clears throat> now, before we pray, I want to say thank you to all the people who made the Puerto Rico trip possible. And that means you and those who went, because some of you prayed, some of you gave, some of you did both of those things, and some people went and actually made that work. That was our first trip. We are going back October 18 through 22. We have more work to do there, so if you want to be a part of that, see me. This has also been a very big week for us because our Presidio, Texas kids were here. Every other summer, they come for a week of enrichment. They do the junior achievement. They go down to Georgia Tech. They play a lot. We get to spend time with them. 32 kids and six adults came. Tons of our people were involved. Great things going on missionally. This is a time to be proud of what we're doing missionally. Before I preach, let's pray. God, you said to us, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. You've blessed us with relationships in Presidio and Puerto Rico and many other places. You've charged us with being people on mission here at home and out in the world. So today we recommit to our calling. Fill us with a fresh call, a new charge to pray for, support, and participate in changing the world. Open our hearts and our minds and our souls to your words today. We love you. Amen. When you think of the Exodus, and we're in the sermon series now at the point of the Ten Commandments, when you think of Exodus, the Ten Commandments, you go quickly to the movie, The Exodus, and this guy. I mean, this is Moses to most of us. I probably, before a couple of years ago, studied more about the Ten Commandments and the Exodus from this movie than I did actually in Scripture. A couple of years ago, 
I was on a study leave and I was able to spend a week studying with some Hebrew scholars on the Ten Commandments. We majored on the pre-Deuteronomistic history of the Old Testament, and I can't spell it, but I did show up for five days, and we broke this down, and I found the Ten Commandments to just come alive, to be much more rich than I have typically allowed them to be. Now, I will be the first to say we are no longer under the commandments because we are followers of Jesus Christ. As the Messiah of Israel, Jesus came not to end the law, but to perfect it, to personify it, to make it whole and perfect. And now the commandments and the commands of God are written on our hearts and our souls. And actually, we're called to live at a higher level than just the Ten Commandments, but they're rich with so much history. And it all started uh, after 430 years of captivity and slavery in Egypt. 40 year, 430 years of not being in Israel or being fully Hebrew and living amongst the Egyptians and their gods and their practices, and they became more Egyptian than Hebrew. Imagine that, 430 years of being exiled and in captivity as a people, as a group who exists to be a holy nation and a nation of priests. So God sends 80-year-old Moses to confront Pharaoh to demand the Hebrews' freedom. And after a lot of jousting and plagues and pestilence and worse, and it got much, much worse, 600,000 men of military age and a whole lot of livestock fled Egypt. Now, the number is astounding because when you watch the movie, it doesn't appear to be that many people, and they started with about 70, and all of a sudden there's 600,000 men, but you have to add in the women and the children, and according to the Center for Biblical Archaeology, uh, that's a study of a comic book, archaeology, there was between 1.8 and 2.5 million Hebrews when it was time for the Exodus. And some scholars actually believe that Israel sneaked away in a cloak of darkness. Really? Two million people and all that livestock just traipsing out of Egypt in the middle of the night. And this is where the movie with Charlton Heston gets in the way. It's like, line up Israel, get in a single file, and keep those camels quiet. We got to get out of this place and head into the desert. A few years ago, my assistant Chris and I, who lead the adult ministry, we had a senior adult trip to the Ryman, to Nashville, during Christmas, and went to the Ryman Theater. Um, we had 53, 54 people who went with us, and we spent two nights there, and the night to go to the Ryman, I think, was senior adult night in a bus. It was everybody came, so we dropped our people off, and, and I was a youth minister for eight years. I was in New Orleans, and we had to travel two, two days to get anywhere, and so I learned to count really well because you got to bring those kids back home. So I said, you know, everybody gets you a travel buddy, and we count and count and count. So we do the same thing on our adult trips, especially if we're out of town like this. So we get there and say, okay, everybody, get off the bus now, go straight in that door, door enjoy yourself, and when it's over, come right back out here. Well, the problem was right back out here was not where the buses were allowed to pick up. And so I scooted out early, and I thought, this is going to be a piece of cake. All I have to do is count. Oh, no, 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 no. There were about 40 buses, and every bus was white. 
And so all of these senior adults are coming out, coming up to me going, sir, can you help me find my bus? And my response was, let me guess, it's a white one. (laughs) And then what we did for about an hour was make sure that everybody got on the right bus. And it's that point when I decided the new rule of adult ministry in this church is we may take 50 people off on a trip, we're going to bring 50 back. Might not be the same 50, (laughs) but we're bringing 50 people back. The huge number of Israelites leaving captivity actually makes this more of a God thing. God moved to make this happen. God changed the heart of Pharaoh and allowed all of this to happen because Israel needed a do-over. They needed a regeneration. They needed to embrace their calling again and brush off the Egyptian dust that they had taken on. So in less than five months, they made it to Mount Sinai And God gave Moses the Decalogue. We know this as the Ten Commandments. Actually, originally it was ten two-word phrases. And we know them now as the basis for all Hebrew law. They were parameters for Israel to live within because they needed a new phase of history. And the scholars say this is a new divine commitment and human obligation phase. Because they had been out of their cycle of being God's people and following God solely for 430 years. So the first commandment is place no other gods beside me. Kep preached about this. Israel believed in other gods. They were henotheist. That means that you believe that other gods exist, but you choose to follow only one. But we know that Israel dabbled in a number of other faith groups, and in doing so, God draws a line. Jansen says, bring no gods before my face, is what God was saying. My presence does not tolerate other gods. I am the great I am, the most high God of Israel, and I am jealous because you are my creation. I brought you into this world on purpose, and I want you to faith me and me alone. The second commandment, do not try to capture me as an image. All gods and goddesses with the ancients had their own coins and statues and literally they would become idols. But Yahweh cannot be contained or caricatured and certainly not domesticated. We can't tie God down, so don't try. Have you ever thought about what it would look like? I mean, how would we depict God? Moses only saw a manifestation of God in a burning bush. And he was so close to it, and it was so powerful that it literally changed his countenance. He never looked the same. So we wouldn't be able to pull this off anyway. So today's commandment, number three, thou shalt not use the Lord your God's name in vain. Now, what did I do just there? I went back to the King James Version. Because that's how I was taught the Ten Commandments. And when I think of the Ten Commandments, that's exactly, I'll go to the thou shalt or thou shalt not. And I don't do a lot of King James. I, I go more NIV. But it's amazing because we say, thou shalt not use the Lord your God's name in vain. There are other people who say, do not misuse the Lord your God's name. Do not make wrongful use of the name. But what does this really mean? I mean, in today's life, what does this really mean? Now, I was taught that it was solely focused on cussing and using God's name. This is how I grew up. But then again, we had a hierarchy of bad words 
in my family home. Now, we weren't allowed to use a lot of those, but my mother told us, you can say dang if you really get mad. But if you say dern, you are on the slippery slope to another word that starts with D and has four letters. So I don't want to ever hear you say dern. Well, that's, no, no, don't tell me that. Because I got mad one day, and I was darning this and darning that, and, and the punishment was getting your mouth washed out with soap. I had old-fashioned parents. And this wasn't Dove Deluxe. <laughs> this was lava, that green soap with the grit in it. And while I was coming up for air, I remember saying, this darn soap tastes so bad. And then it was right back in, and I'm almost certain that if I'd added God's name to Dern, I would have lost a limb. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, the first time I heard an adult use a full expletive with God's name attached, it did something to me. It was like the first time I saw my third-year-old, my third-grade Sunday school teacher around the back of the church smoking. Now, while I was running back behind the church between Sunday school worship, I don't remember. I'm sure it was having something to do with missions, but I don't remember. <laughs> but as I was rounding back behind there, I saw my Sunday school teacher smoking, and that just really hurt me. And then when I heard an adult use a really bad expletive with God's name in it, I literally stood there and think, I bet that guy's going to just burst into flame. I know God's going to do something about this, but it didn't happen. And as time went on, and I worked for a police department, and I worked on a blast furnace, and, and I've heard everything possible, and, and so nothing shocks me anymore, but I do believe that it's out of control. It is out of control, because even us, Facebook, all the, different, all the different things that we use for social media, we OMG this and we OMG that. And I actually asked somebody one time, I said, now, do you mean with the G God or goodness, or what? And they say, oh, it's, it's always goodness. But how do I know? And how does anybody else know if we OMG something and then we're using God's name that way? We say Jesus Christ this and Jesus Christ that. And, and I'll admit, it happens to all of us. I remember driving with my son when he was six, seven years old, and he's strapped in the back, and we literally, literally come close to a major crash. And we didn't. We didn't crash, but we came this close. Brakes locking up and cars turning around and we all missed each other. And I did invoke my Lord and Savior's name loudly. And my son said, Dad! And I said, okay, buddy, here's what happened. I was so unnerved. <laughs> that I could not help but call on my Lord and Savior's name. And I looked in the rearview mirror and he was looking at me going, and you're a pastor. <laughs> but we do use God's name in frivolous, non-spiritual ways. The ancient Hebrews felt that they weren't holy enough to say God's name, so they created names that would be close to God and say them because they were not worthy to mention God's name. They even spelled Yahweh with only four of the six letters because to write the name is to invoke the power of the Most High and Holy God. Today, Orthodox and conservative Jews will not spell God. I have a friend who's a conservative rabbi and the things he sent me has capital G, underlined D. 
because he will not write or utter God's name unless he is calling upon the Lord for something high and holy. So God's name should not be spoken for reasons other than invoking his presence and power because God is faithful and true, and when we invoke his name, God will respond, even if we're doing it out of order. The sheer utterance of his name is the mobilization of his power, If we say God's name for reasons other than holy reasons, we have spoken to God in ways that are totally extraneous to his role and to our spiritual role. We should be ready and open for a holy ground experience when we call upon the Lord. So yes, this commandment can be about language, unrighteous language, but it could also be about swearing an oath by using God's name. Now, we don't worry about this very much now. Daily practice then was, I swear to Nefertiti or I swear to Zeus that I, what I'm telling you is true or that I will buy this parcel of land in the name of Zeus. I promise you I will pay you back at X time. But the Hebrews were told not to use God's name as a guarantor of their promises because what if they defaulted or what would happen if they didn't really mean it. God would be defamed. Our calling is to promote the true God, not bring God down to our broken level. So it's rare today to be um, asked to swear by God. You hear it a lot for reasons that are not pure. I I work for free um, for the local police department as a chaplain, a crisis counselor, and a trainer. So two of my off days every month I spend in a police car. And it's amazing how many people you hear say, I swear to God I didn't do it. I swear to God I didn't do it. Everything you see on TV about that actually happens. I remember when my first two years I was a corrections officer and I was working in a jail and they brought a guy in. And he was telling me the whole time I was fingerprinting him, I swear I didn't do it. I swear I didn't rob that convenience store. Dude, you came out of the convenience store with a sack bearing the name of the convenience store and you had $2,000 in it. I mean, come on. No, I swear to God, I didn't do it because that way maybe we'll believe someone more if they swear to God. But Jesus said later, yet let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Be truthful and honest because you don't have to mention God's name. You represent God. We represent God, so we have to be people of truth and honor, and we have to follow through on all of our commitments, not because it's easy, because it's not easy, because we follow God, and what we do reflects on God and his kingdom. Another view of this commandment is to treat the King James versions, the use of vanity as being prohibited. Now, if we think of vanity, we think of, we could name a few famous television families, I suppose, if we wanted to do that. But the idea of vanity that, oh my gosh, I get better looking every day and I don't know what to do with myself and all that. I mean, okay, that's vanity. That is being preoccupied with how you look, something going on in your life. But that's not exactly what the Hebrew word meant. The root word of vanity is vain and the original rendering meant evil, being untruthful, or not being grounded in reality. And this is where we tend to treat God in selfish ways, as if God were a private genie in a bottle 
waiting just for us. God, you know I really want this. God, you know I really need this. And I'm going to ask you, God, that you allow me to have this because I deserve it and you're my God. We can't treat God that way. Or we get our structure wrong. We are seeing ourselves as more and more and God as a bit less. The most high God, we are saved by grace. We are saved by the mercy of God. And because of that, that structure cannot change. We cannot decide that we are going to be God in our lives. And sometimes we lie to ourselves about ourselves or present ourselves to God as anything less than being people who need grace and people who need mercy. It's okay to be needy if we're needy with God. And we make sure that the structure remains the same. Distorting spiritual reality is vanity. This is the biblical version of being vain. All right, I'm going to give you an example. If, per se, you wake up in the morning and you stand in front of the mirror and look like this, but what you see coming back to you looks like this, That is distorting reality. <laughs> All right, let me just go ahead and say, I don't look that bad in the morning. I look worse. <laughs> you can lose it now, guys. It's okay. And I don't look into the mirror and think that I look like Tom Selleck as Magnum P.I., that was just a little overstatement to say that you can distort reality so much that you can't even recognize the true self, the needy self. We can get to that point in life. And when we do that, we are living into a false narrative and a distorted reality because what we're looking at, we can't see in a realistic way because we don't want to see the actual reality. We are sinners. We have broken relationships. But we're saved by grace and mercy, and if we believe anything and live anything less, it is total vanity, and we destroy the third commandment. God has a narrative, and God has a script for each and every one of us, and we need to see ourselves every day, every day, as being people who need to live into that narrative and that script, and it's just for us. So when we seek God every day and we renew our relationship and we say, God, I want you to be God today and I want you to lead me to be the person you've called me to be, that means we have to be okay with who we are, what we have, what God has gifted us to do. Anything else is a false narrative. Anything else is taking God's purpose for our life in vain because God has called us for each very specific things. So the Hebrews had a Mount Sinai experience. I mean, you know what happened at the bottom of the mountain and they had to have a little revival, but overall they had a Mount Sinai experience. They were reminded that God's name was holy and that it's to be used for holy purposes only. This is a fact we represent God in everything we do and everything we say. If our language defames God and his kingdom, we sin. 
We do. If our language defames God and his kingdom, we sin. If our lives shine negative light upon God, we sin. That's the overarching definition to this commandment. So this commandment is about our comportment, how we live day to day as followers of God, how we speak and how we interact, how honest we are, the way that we present ourselves to other people, is our speech edifying or is it negative? Do we throw the expletives out there? Do we add God into those expletives and become like everybody else? Or do we revere the name of God to the point that we will only invoke it because we want to be in the presence of God? We are open to a holy ground experience and God is going to work in our lives to make us different people. We cannot use God's name in frivolous fashion. But we also really must live into our own spiritual narrative. Not someone else's. Ours. Now, you did not see me in the Puerto Rico video. I was conspicuously absent. Because nowhere in my spiritual gift framework is there any talent for being on a roof. I could have the ability to fall off said roof, but I don't know that because I won't get on a roof. While we were there, I was teaching pastors because my calling is not to be on top of a roof. My calling is to be a teaching pastor. I got to be okay with that. I got to be okay with 10 other guys going, ooh, ooh, big teacher, can't get on a roof. You know, we love each other on these trips so much. But it's true, God's script for my life is different than all of yours. So we really are living in vain if we are not embracing the reality that is ours. Because vanity is accepting a false reality and making it our own. Parker Palmer is famous for the book, Let Your Life Shine. Allow God to do with you what God created you for in the first place. Ooh, it just makes me mad when I'm teaching on the spiritual gifts and somebody says, you know, I don't have a spiritual gift. Yes, you do. We all have a spiritual gift because we are all created by God to make an impact in this world and in his kingdom. Let your life shine because God created you for specific purposes. He created you to be you. And this is how we live out the third commandment. So may we all have a Mount Sinai experience. May we all walk away from this today with a deeper appreciation for the third commandment and what it means to be the people of God, individual people of God, that God loves so much that he created us to be in community with him, to be in communion with him, and be a partner in impacting the world with him. Oh, it's rich. These commandments are rich, and they're different than we usually give them credit for. May each and every one of them change our lives. Let's pray. God, there are days when we need to truly regenerate, when we need to allow you to come into our lives and help us to be honest, and help us to do an inventory of our lives, and through your prodding and leading and your powerful change, 
we regenerate and become the people that you've created us to be. We can make such a difference. We can be so different. We can be who you meant for us to be. Let it happen today in every life here. And may we begin a movement that will not only change where we live, but so many places in the world. Thank you. We love you. Amen.